0: Welcome to the Community Pilot Podcast with me, Sergey Generalov. On the show, we invite community leaders to share their experience and reveal the insights of the community building through their stories. Sasha Mombards is here on the show today to share his experience as a community builder. Sasha is an entrepreneur, designer, and community builder based in New York, and he tells a story on how did he co-create a popular guidelines for community builders, Community Canvas, Also, together, we will talk about community building and impact technology has on modern communities. Let's get started. Sasha, welcome to the show. I'm so glad that you were able to join me today.
1: Thanks. Really excited to to be here and for our little chat.
0: I wanted to start our discussion with uh, your introduction uh, and uh, with your answer to a simple question. I think we met with you through the Community Builder Facebook group and I wanted to... Can you tell a story? How did you start this group? What's the reason for you to start this group and how did you become a community builder?
1: Yeah, absolutely. It's a bit of a... It's an interesting journey. Uh, my background is actually in design in products and branding and product design. Uh, and I used to work for the New York Times Online Edition. I worked for Google and uh, a friend of mine, Fabian... Approached me about uh, two years ago, and he said, "Hey, I um, I want to create this guidebook for community building. Does doesn't really exist, you know? I've he's built a couple of communities, and he noticed that there's." people keep asking him how he did it. And, you know, there's there was no resource out there. So he had this idea to build this, this kind of guidebook. And he approached me and said, hey, can you help me design it? And so that's how this whole journey really started for me. So I started designing it and I realized, oh, well, there's a lot of other things that we could do with this. And so Fabian and I started collaborating. And uh, the uh, result was the community canvas. So it's a guidebook, but it's also a framework to how to build a community. It's there's 17 different themes that are divided into three sections. They're all about identity, experience, and structure. And, uh, you know, we, this was like a little nice little side project. Uh, we we were hoping that a few hundred, maybe a few thousand people would download it. We also thought, you know, maybe we should have a Facebook group. Maybe it's nice to talk to people about what we created. And we absolutely did not expect this whole thing to explode in the way it did. You know, we have over 50,000 downloads that we have tracked but we consciously decided not to put you know an email sort of a wall uh, or require anything from people to download it we just wanted to make it super freely accessible uh, so we don't really have a good way of tracking who's downloaded it it's kind of weird but it's also kind of nice because it is so open and accessible so you know lots of people downloaded it suddenly there were like hundreds, thousands of people who wanted to join this Facebook group. I think it's up to 2,500 people. And we realized, wow, we did something that people really needed more than we expected. You know, and people started approaching us and asking, hey, could you do a workshop? You know, the, the Canvas is great, but we would love some help with it. Because ultimately, you know, the Canvas itself is 60 page PDF. So there's a lot of content. And we are actually working on a new version of it, which is hopefully going to come out the end of this year, which will be, I think, much improved. So I'm very excited about that.
0: So you started this by just doing like a simple project and helping out your friend. You and Fabian started it, but creating a guideline. And that created like a followers around this guideline. And basically, as I understand, people just came to you and said, like, can you teach us more? Like, can you give us more information? And then you started doing this um uh, meetups, workshops. Exactly. Now, yeah. like this uh, is growing and growing, right? Like how did you guys like what's next? Like I mean, I would assume that people would start I think by now the Facebook group is like 3000 people uh or more. And like how does it how do you manage it? Like how does it even you know, how does it, how did you scale it?
1: Yeah, exactly. Uh that's something we also had to deal with, you know, as community builders. And Fabian is a very experienced community builder. He built a, a couple of communities over the past 15 years. Uh, even for us, you know, we were a little surprised suddenly having all these people and we were, we were wondering what to do. And we felt that, you know, we wanted to make this a collaborative effort and co-create this community of community builders, right? Even though, you know, we had started it Sort of, we planted the seed, but we still wanted it to be uh, a collaborative effort, especially because the group is filled with incredible people from all over the world. It's insanely diverse and international. And all of the people who are in that group are really amazing community builders. So we thought it'd be so great to invite them in and then and be able to create something collaboratively. And so uh, we started um, reaching out to people and talking to the group, and we drafted a, a vision document, got people's feedback. Well, we actually started with a minimum viable community. This is one of our the worksheets from the community canvas. We created that. We got people's feedback. It's all in Google Docs. So there were lots of comments, and um, you know, we tried to get everybody's input into there. We created a vision document. We kind of shared that with the community, and that sort of was the basis of what we were going to do next, we, in part of that vision document, we, or vision document process, I should say, we realized, okay, there's a few things that people really want. And that's, you know, they want to learn from each other, and they want to build relationships. So we thought, okay, how can we do that? And it's just the two of us um, managing this group. Obviously, we also have to, we're doing other things. This is not our full-time job. So we thought we should also invite in a couple of people to help us, facilitate this group. So, um, you know, this, it was a bit of a process and it's, you know, that's kind of the challenge to get everyone uh, in the same, on the same chat and the same Zoom call at the same time and, and uh, make sure, you know, make sure that, that everyone who wants to be there can be there. But we managed to get a small group. I think we're like five or six now, people who are helping to create this Facebook group. If you go to the group group, you'll most probably see Lana. Who's she's in charge of the Facebook group? So we basically divide, gave people different roles. So there's someone who's in charge of managing the Facebook group on a day to day basis. She's trying to find other people to help her because obviously it's it's quite a lot of work, right? right? To keep people engaged and post and respond and all that. So that's one part. And the other part is we are we are doing these monthly learning calls where we have a theme and there's two people, um, Carlos and Brooks, who are um basically running this or in charge of and once a month we have this zoom call and anybody can come and we discuss and learn from each other and they've been really interesting we've had people from who work in gaming companies who are in charge of a gaming community we had people from local government in some small town in the US who wanted to create more meaningful events you know and it's really fascinating to get all these people from different places who have similar but also different problems that all re- revolve re- really around bringing people together in meaningful ways. So that's that's been really fascinating. And the third thing that we're working on um, for this group is to create local gatherings. So we, are, we want to identify a few amb- local ambassadors who then could be sort of in charge to uh, have a meetup every month or every two months or however often they think is Appropriate for their city and allows for their time so that people can actually meet in the real world because that's hard to replicate that real life experience, right?
0: Yes, I have actually like you set me up for a very interesting question, but uh, I will start with that one and then we will continue. Like, the really question is like, you started to basically give away ownership to the thing that you created eventually. Like, I mean, being in Silicon Valley is and and like it's like uh interne- entrepreneurship uh spirit all around you need to create, you need to create a minimum viable product, then you need to, you know, own it, then you need to grow it to the business. Like you had this uh community canvas that was the product that, you know, got some traction. You started to create the group out of it, and then at some point you just gave up ownership into the group and you know, distributed the uh ownership across Community builders and uh, of other places, countries, like what they like. I think the question is, you know, what would you suggest? Like, the why moment was for you that you decided like, that we need to do it. I mean, had you even thought about that? Should we do it? How do we give away this ownership to the community we created?
1: Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Ownership is, is a good question because, you know, who owns a community? is a great question. And uh, Fab could talk about that in in very much detail because the community that he created that I was a part of, uh, there was an ownership conflict uh, at one point and the sort of new owner of the community wanted to change things and that didn't go down so well with the rest of the community and basically the community reorganized into a new community. And so then the Previous owner basically didn't own anything except the name, right? and the new community was the same community under a new name. So this is the very, very short version of this story, um, <laughs> and uh, it's quite an intense story. But the thing is, who owns a community? Nobody, really, right? The community is really only there as a whole with everybody included. And you know, I think powerful communities, strong communities are only strong because they're co-created. And that means everybody needs to have some part of, of the ownership. You know, when we talk about community, we talk about trust and belonging, right? Yeah. Um, they have trusted relationships and a very and a strong sense of belonging. And I, I like the word belonging, and I didn't come up with this. The word belonging has multiple meanings. They're quite nice, right? One is you belong somewhere, but something also belongs to you, and you have a longing for something. So there are those three things. And, you know, that... The fact that you belong to it, but it also belongs to you, I think, is really important. So, and you know, I would love for this Facebook community to even have more co-ownership because that makes it even stronger. You know, currently right. we're still, you know, there's two, two or three thousand people, right, which is relatively big, and we're all over the world. And there's a small group, you know, a handful of people who are facilitating everyone or what's happening in the group, and that's still very small. And I think. It'd be really amazing to empower more people, to to do the things that are meaningful to them within this group and leverage all of the amazing talents and ideas that are in the group. Right? It's like how do we get that out of this group? It's there, it's quietly percolating somewhere, and we want to take it and make something. And it's not necessarily even as a whole group, but even as small clusters. There's really a lot of power of, you know, two, three, four people get together and do something. Yeah, but it's enabling that. That is that's quite challenging.
0: You set me up for another great question. I think is we actually met with you because I was working on a community related software for my friend, and then that I, I found this community canvas. I found this group, and I saw that in the community builders you were publishing some mockups for the software that you were thinking about. I was assumed that this software is a uh, your like you know, result of learning the process that to empower people in the community, you need more uh, than just a framework and you need a, some technology tools that allows you to empower community builders, uh, create something for community. So what role do you think technology tools and what kind of technology tools you think are missing right now
1: that will help community builders? Yeah, great question. It And it's something I, I do think a lot about you know because i do come from my background is sort of in the product world and i think those there are two really big important questions you know what's the role of community play in the world and what's the role of community of technology play in the world and how do they play together and i think those are two questions that at least for me they come up almost on a daily basis right you can you know our world is becoming much more uh divisive right people are very opposite ends of the spectrum we can't find common ground anymore you know and there is huge uh, separation that's very challenging right we can see that in every part politics you know especially in the u.s but in every country and it happens all over the world it's, it's a real challenge um and then there's technology you know and i think Technology is maybe partially responsible for what's happening, you know, progress. We've been progressing uh, globally, you know, I think globalization is one thing, also enabled through technology, but then also the way we communicate with each other has changed because of technology. And because of that, maybe we're not talking to each other in the same way that we used to. And it's creating all these new scenarios that we are not really sure how to deal with, you know, like. For example, every you know, we're in the information age, sure, but it's become so easy to create information that we're also in the misinformation age. So how do we actually deal with that? And what kind of impact does that have on us, our being together, you know, on this, on the community? And so... But, you know, I think there there is the thing about technology is like a lot of times people just throw technology at something. Oh, we're not talking enough about, you know, let's throw a chat app into this thing, you know, into this community. People are not talking with each other. We need a chat app. And I don't feel like that's necessarily the right approach because there is a much bigger systemic problem and technology is not the solution. You know, the solution is something else. And technology, I feel like, can help or sort of be part of the solution. It isn't the solution, right? And I think, oh, for sure, yeah. That's, yeah, you know, that's a, that's a big challenge and what is the solution? It's hard. That's a, that's a very hard question to answer. So, you know, that's um, how did, so I started thinking about this and I was like, oh, I'd love, you know, I'd love to build a product. And to me, it's also really about enabling um, the community builders because the job of the community builder is quite intense you as a facilitator you have to do a lot of different things Uh, you have to manage lots of different people oftentimes you know people create communities out of passion because they want to see something in the world it's not their job there aren't really many sort of jobs unless they're connected to a brand right in terms of community building or and you know and making your day-to-day living is is really hard and oftentimes it's sadly, it's also somewhat of an ungrateful job where people don't really appreciate what a community builder is doing for the community. You know, it's, things are happening and people just enjoy that, but they don't really often feel like, oh, it's because this one person is doing this, all this insane amount of work of organizing meetings, figuring out where, how, inviting everyone, you know, and people just show up and they have a good time and then they leave and oftentimes. They don't really consider the amount of work that goes into it. And then community builders burn out. You know, that happens a lot. It's, it's a tough job. And to me, I was like, okay, you know, there's, people are very passionate. There's a real need for us to come together in lots of different ways. Like, how can technology help a community builder? How can it make their job easier? Because a lot of the tasks are somewhat repetitive or they're quite complex for a human, but they could be easier for a machine to do, you know, and for like, you know, having a directory, for example, and getting everyone's picture up and collecting information about the people in your community. That's very difficult to do by hand, but you know, having a website or some kind of directory makes that real a lot easier. And maybe that'll help create these real life get togethers and bring out that percolation that I was talking about earlier.
0: Right. So I think there are several interesting points that you touched there it is incentives is one of them, right? And uh, how do you make sure that the incentives in the community are set up the way that it, like the people who are creating community and putting in all the effort will eventually have incentives to continue and the, the members who come into community and start to, you know, consume things that community produces how do i think the fabian actually made a recently a talk about it right how to like that community members need to not consume but actually create co-create i think that's something that you also just mentioned
1: yeah i guess it's uh, it's about the thing that when in a community if people just show up and uh they're they're if they're just consumers you know that that doesn't create much of a community, right? Because it's kind of a one-way street and it it needs to be two way. So you need to put something in, get something out. Seems very obvious, right? So for example, meetup or a lecture where somebody's talking in front and people go and listen, it's not really a community, right? Because or I'm I'm trying to train myself too. I keep saying it's not a community, but to me it is really about being a strong or a weak community, right? I don't think that the, There's all kinds of communities, and they all live on a spectrum, and there's lots of different kinds of spectrums. And so, uh, if you just have a lecture and somebody's talking, that's not a very strong community, right? Because there's the people don't know each other. There's no real trust, even though if this happens on a regular basis. And you know, Baba's talked about this too a bunch of times, where he says that uh, you know, lots of events or conferences think they're communities, but they're not really you know because it it is very much a one way thing or or community happens for a few days in like this burst of energy and then it dissipates because afterwards after the event nobody's really talking to each other anymore and, you know, so I think linked to that, that yes, you have to be, you know, don't be a consumer, you have to be a creator. It's also about a thing of of uh, generosity. Oh, we also, related to this, we also talk a lot about generosity and transactionality in a community, right? If, if something is transactional, it doesn't necessarily create a strong community because you do something and you expect something in return immediately, right? That's very transactional. I pay you, you give me the product. That's great, but it's, not very generous in the sense, and strong communities because um, you know generosity reinforces a sense of trust. When when a community has a strong, when the people are generous in a community, that makes them very powerful, right? And what does generous mean? Well, you know, you're putting something in just because you want to help someone or because you want to do something, not necessarily expecting something immediately in return. Or maybe you're you're you know you could you could feel like you're putting something into the larger pool and you're trusting that that larger pool will help you back so it's not totally selflessly generous and I don't really know that selflessness actually really exists we're getting philosophical here but um, that that's uh, could be for another conversation
0: I recently read the book why things go Vir- viral and um, I forgot the name of an after but uh, he uh mentioned this terminology called the social currency. I think it's not he who uh, created this terminology, but the idea is why we're doing anything or why we share is because we want to gain a social currency. I think that's something that I can relate to what you just saying is people not totally do things because they um, you are know, uh, just super generous, but they also, sometimes just gain a social currency. Um, and uh, I think the, the trick is how do we make communities where this transaction doesn't have to be immediate? You know, if you produce and you create enough for community, you gain enough social currency that eventually community will start to give you back, um, or something like that.
1: Yeah, uh, I think. It's interesting. Social currency is an interesting word. I'm thinking about that. To me, it's really about trust. Like you are trusting that, you know, that's generally when you're generous, right? Right. I help you and I don't want anything in return. And I'm trusting that when I have a problem, you'll be there for me. You know, that's like a, a really good friend. Someone you really trust is someone like that. You would do anything for them because you know that they would do anything for you. And you don't necessarily expect them to do something for you when you, when you did something for them, yeah, <laughs> right? For sure. So, uh, you know, the, I think the, the funny thing about the, the, what, what, I, what came up for me when you said social currency, it's, it sounds very much like status. And I don't know, there is something interesting around status because there it's, it's again, about you and it's, it's a bit more egocentric, right? Where right. the status is about you and yourself and your position within the community. And I think trust is a, is a much more robust and simple way of looking at it. It's similar. They're definitely related. Yeah, I think the status
0: is uh, also... I think the, the, the challenge is all those terms are you know on the intersection sometimes. And like, they are so closely related that it's hard to uh, explicitly distinguish like what is the right term. I think the trust is the best way to describe community um, relationship. I totally um, agree with you there. Um,
1: coming back to technology. Uh, can, can I say one thing there? yes, yeah, really for sure. interesting, Because I mean, you talk about language, you know, and I think it is a really important point um, because I don't know if we have really the best, we have established the best language for community yet. You know, I feel like people talk about things, community in lots of different ways. People, Some people say networks, some people say community. Some people use... You know, brands use the word community, but it's really their customers, not their community. So there's a lot of confusion around that. And you know, frankly, I don't know if there is the best word for something or other. You know, I think the best way is if we actually understand each other and we know what we mean. Right. And it it kind of goes back to to my whole thing about the misinformation age that we're in. You know, and I, and these misunderstandings we're have, having. Yes. Um. Where people are talking about things and they mean something else and, and people don't really know. And I, th- I think it's so important to have a common language where we really understand each other. And if we don't, I think it's so important to actually clarify and make, and make sure that we are talking about the same thing. Right. So, you know, like you're talking about social currency, I'm talking about trust. It's kind of nice to actually try to be more clear about it because oftentimes it's, it's difficult. Oh for sure. I think it's interesting that you brought
0: this uh topic because I these days I have a small child and like we he started talking and you know we always have this discussion with my spouse that like uh if he, if my son says something it doesn't mean that he meant it because our vocabulary even if we speak the same language the meaning for word is sometimes different we the our vocabulary is different i think it goes the same for uh two people talking adults talking community talking so what you're saying is we really need to for almost every community there needs to be community vocabulary like a shared vocabulary that we know like each word what it means what we're actually trying to say
1: yeah absolutely and and you know i think the challenge is i feel like all these things are connected right like because of globalization because of the way we work nowadays, because people come from lots of different backgrounds and places, it's it's much more complicated, right? Because one thing that meant something to a certain group could mean something else to another group. And, you know, we have to manage these differences suddenly, much more than we did maybe 50 or 100 years ago, where, where things might have been much more clear, right? And so... Uh, how do we do that you know technology can't really help there i would say it uh unless you know i think technology can create problems there because it doesn't allow for things to be explained uh, more precisely you know That, that that creates a problem in that sense you know like when you're having an online discussion and there's only you only have 140 characters or um or the way you know like having an asynchronous conversation is also, a lot, you know, it's not the same as having a real in-person conversation where you can see the person. You can also understand how you, you hear their voice and how they're saying it. That makes a big difference, right? And you generally, some just from their body language and how they're showing up, you can get a lot more information from what they actually mean when they're saying that versus when we're just chatting and there's text, there's so much more room for misunderstandings, you know? I feel like emojis have tried to come and help a little bit. And, you know, they're like the facial expressions that we're lacking in text. But yeah. um, there, there, there's a real challenge there when, when you're on a just simply text-based medium on, you know, on how precise you can be or how people interpret what you're saying.
0: It's interesting because the way I think about technology is it's just another platform it's another way of um you know communicating and I think one of the biggest challenges of challenges of this uh like uh, of this time is that it's so rapidly progressing that people just cannot adapt and the, and like learn the new ways and I think the um, new generation, the, the kids that are native to um, this way of communication—that's uh, you know, uh, text-based communication first, and then everything else—they will drive the way how we communicate, uh, and they're going to be completely new ways to talk because think about it from a different perspective right if you all hold your life you mainly uh communicated through the text with your friends and uh, you would develop a special language i mean the emojis and stuff um and then when you come to a room with those friends you just don't know how to read the body language uh so i think that's like you know something that we struggling also because we not native to this technology. I mean, we were not born and raised with uh, iPhones in hand. Not uh, compared to the teenagers today.
1: Mm. Yeah, true. But I mean, you might make a very interesting point there. Like we're maybe not as native in sort of the digital communication technologies. But you know, what happens to somebody who is very native in in the digital world, but then in the real world, they're just not able to function properly, or you know, uh, they're just awkward. That's also challenging because in the end, we do live in the real world, you know? Yes. Yes, for <laughs> you sure. You can't <laughs> avoid those interactions. So um, I feel like that's, that's part of the problem, you know, in, in, in some instances. I, I have this, this I, I read this great quote or somebody told me actually recently from Melvin Kranzberg, who said, uh, technology is neither good nor bad, nor is it neutral. Interesting. I like how because, you know, you, you often say like, oh, it's not good or it's bad. But yeah, OK, it's, it's not good. It's not bad, but it's also not neutral. It is something. And I think it's, it's good to be aware of that.
0: Yeah, I, thought, I absolutely agree. I, I don't I think that technology is not neutral. And we need, as people who are building communities, people who build building products, we need to take this into account. Because the way you apply technology, I mean, look at what the Facebook doing and all the uh, news lately about Facebook. It's not neutral. And it would not, will never be. Um, to that point, I have a. I think one of the last questions is like, what kind of tools do you think will help us, or maybe can help us to bring these two worlds together, offline and online? Uh, technology, communications, and then personal communications. You know,
1: I think it's about bringing information together because we live such se- separate, disparate lives. You know, I mean, I'm in New York, so. This might be more extreme than in other places, but people are generally very busy. People live in different neighborhoods. It's actually very hard to get people to come together at the same time to do something. So I created this, um, I, I free dive and I wanted to meet more free divers in New York. There's no, you can't really go free diving in New York, but at least I was like, I want to talk to people who have the same sort of passion and maybe we can organize a trip. So I just, I posted on Facebook. To in a couple of groups that I wanted to have a get-together. And, you know, it was quite a lot of work figuring out, you know, getting people's information, getting... And I created a Doodle. And so on the Doodle, then we suggested a bunch of different days. And then whoever voted on most of those days, you know, there's all these little things that make it quite... That are difficult to do. And technology can help there, right? If Doodle didn't exist, it would just be such a nightmare to go back and forth on email who is available when and where to do the thing. And so we did ultimately meet and it was a really wonderful get together. And I have another story similar like this where I was trying to organize sort of parties with very specific kinds of people where I was trying to curate a group and just getting, you know, people to signing people up Uh, emailing everyone when people cancel, then, you know, there are all these little intricacies that you as a, as a community builder and facilitator of this get together have to deal with that makes it so complicated. So I think it's tools like that, that'll help bridge this gap. You know, I don't know if it's like chat tools, do we need yet another chat tool? Do we need yet another email tool? I don't think so. I think what it is also is about bringing all those tools together. You know, it is for community builders. What I've noticed is like er, people use so many different tools and they don't talk to each other. Even the tools don't talk to each other. So <laughs> that's the <laughs> overall theme, um, I guess. And it creates just such complexity and problems about email, you know, updating lists here and um just keep staying on top of the information is is really difficult. And, it, and I feel like if there were ways for tools to come together, you know, people have different preferences in, in terms of communication tools, right? Somebody likes WhatsApp, somebody else's iMessage, somebody prefers email. And these are all, and these people are all part of one community. And, you know, you deciding to use WhatsApp for your community will just exclude a bunch of other people, which is kind of unnecessary. It'd be so nice if you could just write one message and it would, show up on the person that likes whatsapp it would show up for whatsapp or the other person's iMessage and someone else would get it by email just to make the communication more fluid and to whatever preference someone has that's really difficult and not really possible at the moment you know so things like that i think could be very helpful you know communicate like like our technology has created lots of segregation in a way even though in other ways it's Created the possibility for us to talk over long distances and time zones. And, you know, it brought us together in one way, but segregated us in other ways. And yeah. I think it's about bridging those gaps.
0: I would uh, like to finish on this uh, amazing uh, answer and um, ask you a fireside questions. Uh, it's a standard thing, right? Uh, I ask you a short question. You give me a 30 seconds answer. You can go more. It's up to you. Okay. Does that make sense? ready. Okay, so what book would you recommend me to read next?
1: Wow, I guess there's so many books uh, that I also want to read um, on this topic. Uh, but the book that I come back to often is, um, it's called Community, The Structure of Belonging by Peter Bloch, who's also the gentleman that I got the belonging, the three meanings of belonging from. Right. Um, it's a really good book. book. Um, we also... You know, I created this uh, together with uh, uh, Tiago, uh, who's also in that uh, community builders group. Uh, we created these this list of resources, uh, which is on closenet.co/resources, and there's a bunch of books and articles. Uh, we thought it would be nice to have a curated list, um, curated in the sense that it's just about community building, and it's actually it's tools, articles, uh, books. So that's also a place if you've, if you've read the structure of belonging already, you can find something else there.
0: I love actually, I saw the close, uh, close kid resources. It's amazing place. I, I love that. What, what you guys did. I mean, I always, if somebody asks me where, where should I start? I will just point them to this. It's amazing. Awesome. Thank Um, so you build this, uh, community builder, uh, community (laughs) and then, um, you helped uh, create community canvas, what would be the best approach, the best one, you know, if you would recommend somebody to uh, have one single approach that they can do to start a community, what would it be? Like a approach process, um, something that I can start with as somebody who just starting off.
1: Yeah, great question. It's a difficult one, too. Um, I think one thing I would say is that transparency and clarity is really important. And I think being, being transparent and clear on your own intentions for the group that you're creating. Um, and that in, in, I guess that also means what, what the purpose of the group is and who is part of the group. And, you know, I think having a couple, you don't need a lot to start a community, right? But I I think being clear about a couple of the basic things and communicating them, Mm -hmm. and communicating them clearly and loudly and strongly is really a good place to start. Because then other people will be like, yeah, I'm one of those people, you know, Uh, like my community of freedivers, who is it for? Well, is anybody who's really into free diving and based in New York city. Right. And, you know, so that's something people I can identify with. And basically that's what I did. I just posted on Facebook that I wanted to meet more free divers. And that's a very specific group of people. So, you know, the ones who have, who have a passion for free diving all raised their hands. And, you know, we, we came together, we had, two meetings already. We actually organized the trip. We're going uh, free diving, four of us. We're like 15 people actually, um, which I was surprised uh, at how many people showed up. Um, and, you know, out of out of me saying, hey, I want to create this group for free divers. Uh, and, you know, I want to get people together in person. That's sort of the purpose of this. And, you know, talk about free diving and maybe organize a trip. I just put that out there and s- things started to, form around that idea. And so uh it's quite a wonderful thing actually. And you know, I someone else from the group was helping organize it and he knew someone in Mexico and he had a contact. So a lot of things happened very naturally and organically, which was really amazing to see. So define clear goals
0: and communicate them clearly and loudly. And then people will just start to co-organize and uh... It should happen organically if there is a value for people to co-organize. That's what you're basically
1: saying. Yeah, right? exactly. Amazing. Uh, goals, I love it. intentions, purpose, uh, or who you know. Even I think starting with who something is for can often encapsulate a lot of those things. I absolutely agree with you. There's a great article by Michelle Bachman um, on uh, this idea of starting with who, in in terms of a community, and thinking about who is part of it as a, as the starting point.
0: I had a great time with you. Um, Thank you for coming to, um, to my uh, podcast. And uh, I hope that we will record more episodes with you.
1: Yeah, absolute pleasure. And, you know, I would love, I would love to invite everyone who's listening to this to, if they have other points of views on um, what we've said, what I've said, um, or other ideas, better ideas, solutions, answers, Uh, to email me or post wherever you post this, I'd be really lovely to hear back so that this is not just a one-sided conversation.
0: Oh, yeah. I will also post the uh, links to Community Builders group and uh, Sasha is uh, one of the moderators there and uh, feel free to join. It's a free group. It's a closed group, but I think you guys accept accepting pretty much everyone.
1: We do everyone who's in the actively working around in or around community. And I think um, we're accepting people every two weeks or so. So it might take a little bit, but I think
0: we're doing like 50 people every two weeks. Amazing. So uh, on this note, again, thank you for joining. It was amazing.
1: Great. Thanks for having me.
0: Thank you for listening to the Community Pilot Podcast. Check out our last episodes and find upcoming ones on YouTube, iTunes, SoundCloud, and Spotify. Stay tuned.